Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite Casual Hoya podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft, and today a little bit of an audible, we are going to go away from men's basketball as we are being joined by the reigning coach of the men's soccer champions, Coach Brian Weiss. Coach, thank you so much for coming on. No, happy happy to join you, Bobby. Thanks for inviting me. So if this were a normal year, you would be about a month into defending Georgetown's national championship. Of course, this is anything but a normal year. So the Big East season has been postponed. What was it? What was it like when you found out that the season was not going to go on as you would have normally expect? And how was it? You know, talking to your players, and how do you think your players sort of handled that? Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a funny one for us because it's been such a you know a slow burn. Yeah. You know, it 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 it, it was different for us than it was maybe for, for the, for the spring sports or even for, you know, ba- basketball, uh, when they canceled the entropy tournament, um, and you know, the big East, but they canceled it mid game, right. For one of those things. I mean, it, it, that was like a, a, um, a shock I, I was of up an there. announcement. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it, it doesn't get anything more dramatic than that. Right. And yeah. I, I remember our office is next to the, to the baseball guys locker room and they were coming back from, their spring break trip, which they always go down south for, and and they had been told on the way back, it's, they're done, it's canceled. Um, and you know, you see you see that impact on those athletes, and it's you know it's devastating because it's you know you, you're going from from 100 miles an hour competing and 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 doing the thing that you're used to doing and loving, and suddenly saying you can't do it, or, you know, we're done, stop, stop. You know, tomorrow you can't clean out your clean out your locker, and and so for us. It was a little different in that it was. It's always been sort of something in doubt, right? We the the, the spring evolved into the summer, which evolved into the fall, and it was always like, um, you know, maybe maybe everyone's coming back to campus. Maybe just some people are coming back. Maybe we're um, playing a, a, a conference only schedule. Well, maybe not. I mean, it was it was always so much in flux that um, I you know it it was always there to be canceled, yeah, potentially, and so. Um, having said that, it, it, it's, it doesn't really lessen the blow, um, for, you know, the players and, and, you know, my, my, my staff and, you know, I think we're all still really struggling with, you know, you know, what the, what the present holds and what the, what the future holds, you know, to be honest with you. So it's, um, um, and, and, and to be, to be fair, the other thing that was interesting for us is when it happened in March, really, it was March, um, um lee reed our athletic director uh and i sat down because we were supposed to go to germany 
over spring break as a team for a foreign trip. You're allowed one of these foreign trips every four years. And we had, we had long been planning for this trip to spend time in, in northern Germany and in, in um, Amsterdam and, um, and maybe four or five days before the trip, Lee, Lee called me in and said, I don't think this is a good idea. And, you know, that was the first, we're like, oh, like life is being disrupted. Um, but this was, you have to remember, this is like Italy was starting to become a problem. Europe had, it was like starting to creep into Italy. It wasn't an issue in the United States at all in the, in that time in, in the, in, in the public eye. Um, and to Lee's credit, it was unbelievably prescient because if we had gone to Germany, while we had been there, we would have had that sort of funny travel problem. We would have maybe been stuck in Germany as a team uh, trying to get back over because of the travel restrictions that just kicked in and everything else. So, you know, it, it, it's, um, it's been, you know, like, like for everybody, it's, it's been hugely disruptive. And, uh, you know, we're, um, we're just trying to navigate, you know, day to day how to, how to, when, when and how we're going to get out of it. Yeah, it's funny that you bring up the other European countries, because I know for me, unfortunately, as someone that was kind of just ignoring it, I guess, a little bit, and as a big soccer, football fan, whatever you want to call it, I remember when they shut down Serie A, I was like, wow, this seems like it might be actually kind of serious. Um, yeah. And then on the way up to the Big East tournament, I think Georgetown played on Wednesday, I'm a big Arsenal fan, and I was like, oh, well, you know, on the train, I'll be able to watch most of the Arsenal-Man City game. And then Arsenal Man City, I want to say, was the first Premier League game that was postponed because uh, their their manager Mikel Arteta tested positive, and then right, right. everything just sort of crumbled from there. From literally watching Georgetown lose to St. John's to going out after the game and seeing everything kind of shut down, and there was no fa- and there was going to be no fans at the Big East tournament for basketball. And then they said, "Well, we're going to only play a half of the St. John's Creighton game." Um, but yeah, for, unfortunately, I don't know what it says about me, but when it started to affect sports is when I was like, wow, this thing is for real. Um, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. And, you know, so if this had happened, maybe, you know, when you first got to Georgetown, you're going into your 15th year, whenever the season does happen. Um, the internet wasn't as big, you know, social media wasn't as big when you first got there. Smartphones, I think, were just kind of happening. So were you able to tell your players or was it something where, they were sort of finding out and maybe you were getting text messages from some of your players saying, Hey coach, is this for real? Are we really not playing? Yeah, we, we were able to, to, to talk about, we've been in contact with them and, and you are, it is amazing how you can, how you can really, um, really connect with people. Um, it, it, it's the technology is both a blessing and a curse, right? Cause you can always, you can, right now you can zoom in with people, but you're still, you're still not really connecting on a Zoom, right? For as good as that is, it, you know, what we miss is, as, as teams and as coaches is, you know, the, the, the ability to, to, to have the sort of conversation with a player on the way out to practice, uh, on the way back from practice in the office, in the locker room, whatever it is. Like those are those little conversations that make it so, um, you know, so fulfilling in a lot of ways. And, and, you know, for us, for us, when it initially hit, you know, we were we were still um, fundamentally together um, and and able to sort of you know meet face to face and before the guys were were sort of sent away. Um, but uh, you know, I don't know if anybody could for, have foreseen the length of the impact and the magnitude of it um, hitting for as long as it has and and as as severely as it has. 
obviously coming off a national championship is always a position somebody wants to be in. Um, you know, very hard to obtain the pinnacle. Do you think it, it's a little bit harder as a team to handle it coming off of that? Because the mindset is we want to go out, we want to defend this, we want to, you know, try and establish something, win back to back. Or, you know, does that does that really not not matter in this unprecedented times, as everyone likes to always say? Um, yeah, it is hard. Right? There's, there's, it's, it's very hard because, yeah. um, it's a, it's, a, you know, when you, when you, you, I could go through my whole career as a coach and never win a national championship. In fact, I would have expected that. Um, and, and it just is, how, it's so, it's so hard, um, to, to do it and, to, and to have a team, you know, f- figure it out last year was a, such a special kind of, um, uh, accomplishment for those guys and 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 you know but the the really hard part about it is um you have this sort of different sort of mentality that you want to see if you can handle right like it's the 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 repeating of a national championship is a unique is a unique thing that happens once right you have one opportunity to repeat and if you if you do then you get another one but you know going into every game where you know that that your opponent is more excited about your game than any other game on their schedule, right? And 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 managing that and being and being good enough to to figure out how to how to uh, navigate those that kind of a, a challenge is is fun, right? And it's different. Um, and you know the hard thing for us is we have a group of players that are fundamentally right now in hibernation, like we're in hibernation waiting for you know everyone's sort of gone to sleep and we're hoping to kind of when they wake up we're still going to have you know a good group of players that are excited and and motivated and all those things but we have this group of players that is really good i mean we we could be better this next season than we were last year in terms of talent and and depth and and sort of experience and um and that's kind of hard to just be like i yeah having that denied is, is is difficult and um, and having the, mem- the momentum of that season kind of carry on beyond the championship season is difficult to, to see. But, you know, it's having said all that, I also try to keep real perspective. And I always sort of try to, to, you know, when I start getting really frustrated about what's not happening, I always try to go back and say, well, thank goodness we, we were able to play last year. Thank yeah. goodness that experience happened. Thank goodness this COVID thing didn't creep over here in November and deny us the, the postseason, right? Like, and, and deny the, the opportunity to, to win a national championship. Cause that could easily, you know, the timing was so arbitrary. Um, and I think about the spring sports in, in, um, you know, you, you, you got baseball and softball and uh, you, you go through the whole list of all of these spring sports and, and the, the, the men's and women's basketball, right? Somebody, was denied a national championship. They don't know who it was, but somebody was denied that experience in yeah. each of those sports. And I always go back to say, well, thank goodness our guys had that experience because it was so special. It's something that they'll have forever. It's something that uh, I think they'll cherish forever. I think it was really special for the Georgetown community. Um, obviously something you know I'm, I'm incredibly proud of to, to, to have brought to Georgetown. So, you know, the fact that that happened, that was allowed to happen in the sort of cosmic scheme of things, I always try to keep that perspective um, because, you know, easily could easily could have been taken away um, with a little bit, a little bit different timing. 
So I'll admit I'm a pretty big soccer fan. Um, unfortunately, have not been to one of your games in a while. I actually had a chance to work the, I guess it was the Elite Eight game against Washington. The Seattle Times mm. wanted me to go out there. And yeah. I, I think based on the babysitter cost and the cost I was going to get for for working that game, I couldn't make it. I did watch it online. I did watch it online. Okay. But so I don't I don't know a lot about college soccer in general, other than I know that there are some schools that are playing. For instance, I want to say one of your old schools that you coached at, Notre Dame, is playing. So what's kind of going on with college soccer right now? Yeah, it's um, it's a little twilight zoney. You know, it's okay. a little bit of a twilight zone because. Um, the NCAA, the NCAA is a funny, a funny monster, right? Cause they're trying to make the right decisions and trying to navigate a really uncertain time and legislate yeah. things that make sense. And, um, um, but they're also, they're also sort of allowing each sport to sort of operate autonomously and conferences to operate autonomously with, with what makes sense. And, and it's sort of this, it's an interesting, interesting time to be in compliance and, and an administrator, I think right now, but um you know what they've done for for all the sports really i think but certainly for soccer is they've said um all along they've said if this makes sense for you to play play uh in the fall and um what they what they also put in is saying if 50% of the teams out there in division 1 decide that they're not going to play they're not going to have a fall championship. You wouldn't have an NCAA championship if, if more than 50% of the schools decide they're not playing that sponsored men's soccer, Division One men's soccer. And so we we crossed that threshold um, late in the spring with conference. The Big East made the decision of the conference. The, the Big Ten made a December, the decision. All these all these conferences sort of started falling individually at their own times. So it wasn't like this big collective thing. It's just it was one of those things where it's like, you know, it's like, it's like election night. You're sort of waiting for what, when do they hit these number of the threshold? What does this mean? And then, and then once we hit 50%, the NCAA said, all right, no fall, no fall championship. Um, and there was some uncertainty whether they were going to move things to the spring or is it going to be too much for people to handle? And, and fortunately they, they made the decision that they're going to have, um, you know, fall sports in general are going to be playing in the spring as, as of now. And so, we are we are um, legislatively going to be able to have a full season that we normally would have in the fall in the spring, and we're going to have a championship. It's going to be a slightly smaller field instead of 48 teams for us. It's going to be 36. Okay. Um, and for the women, I think they've done the same thing. So 64 for them. I think they're going down to 48. They have some, you know, percentage sort of decrease to try to manage costs and, and other things. Uh, but it's fundamentally going to feel like a regular season. Um, but you know the ACC, you know, so sort of this is the way best way of thinking of it. Um, everyone who's really tied into a football conference that's still trying to play in the fall, yeah, they've kind of politically had to maintain all their other fall sports if they could play, because they couldn't say, well, you know, if we're going to play football, the SEC and and the Big Twelve and 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 uh, the ACC, they can't really say we're going to play football in the fall but it's not safe for anyone else no one else is going to do it so we're going to move you to the to the spring they can't politically say that it's a really bad look and so all of these other olympic sports for those conferences have really kind of been sort of jet washed into competing in the fall whether they want to or not and really that, interesting. Yeah. that's kind of my question um, was if you were if you were for example a notre dame you know wouldn't you maybe want to play in the spring because then you can compete for the national title 
Well, yeah. So what they've done is they're allowed sort of to do both. So they're going to oh. play a, a modified, they're playing however many games they feel they want to. They, you know, we'll, we'll be playing, say, 20 games in the spring. These AC, Notre Dame and some of these ACC schools, and there's a couple of other sort of the schools in the in this sort of southern states that are doing sort of the same thing. But it's, it's literally 90% of the schools are, are not playing anything. They're all moving to the spring. 10% are still kind of cranking away trying to do something. And so those 10% are going to play, you know, maybe six, eight, 10 games this fall if they can. And then they'll finish it. They'll play, you know, 10 games in the spring. So they're, they're going to have sort of the best of both worlds in a funny way um, to be able to then to compete with everyone else in the spring. And so the games they're playing this fall will count towards their qualification process towards NCAA selection in the spring. Well, let me just say that I don't know if you have your own blog on GU Hoyas, but in my attempt to research what was going on with college soccer, I feel like you just summed it up far better than what's on the internet. <laughs> I've been thinking about it a lot, so hopefully I can do that. <laughs> um, now, I know I know coaches at every level, whether it's youth league, high school, college, and then championship winning coaches like yourself are always looking to find an edge, find, okay, this is a problem. We're dealing with, you know, again, I don't really like saying it, but I'm going to say it for the second time in five minutes here. Unprecedented times. Mm. What have you, as a coach, tried to figure out, okay, here's the hand I'm dealt with. How can I get better as a coach? How can I get better for the program? What are you trying to do during this period to take advantage of maybe something that wouldn't have been there if the, you know, the normal calendar was kind of happening? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm... Um uh personally i'm i'm you know as a team it's difficult right because yeah. not you know georgetown campus is closed our guys are on their own really we're not able to work with them at all um so they're sort of cranking along trying to trying to make ends meet as best they can and and you know I, I use the word hibernation and it's kind of the right feeling word which is like you know we can't do much that just yet we're waiting for those doors to start sort of opening to allow for you know some some more constructive, um, uh, organized work with the guys and getting them up to speed again. And, you know, but individually I'm over, I'm actually over in, um, uh, in England and I've been self quarantined. I'm in the middle of a self quarantine. I have to, when you, when you fly over to the UK, you have to hang out for 14 days and, and not go out and, and do anything. Um, and the reason is, is, um, uh, it's actually, the, uh, there's a small club outside London called the Wickham, uh, the Wickham Wanderers is what they're called. And oh yeah. They they are um, a a club that just got promoted into the championship. So, you know, the description of like how they how the nomenclature for for English soccer doesn't make any sense. But there's the Premiership, right, which the Arsenal's and the Man U's and all these teams play in, and then the level below that is the Championship, um, which is a misnomer, but it's the second tier. And then, you know, the first division is the one underneath that, but that's really the third tier, et cetera, et cetera. So they're sort of, you know, they have this, this great sort of promotion relegation system. It's incredible. Um, and they, it's incredible. Yeah. Right. It's like, I always think like baseball would be well served to have promotion or relegation in the, in the U S but, um, you know, there's far too much money involved in, in that thing. It's too, 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 too ingrained to add it at this stage for, for MLS or anything else, to be fair. It'd be very difficult, but yeah, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful structure, um, in sport. And um, and Wickham is this really tiny club. They uh, they played a playoff game in Wembley Stadium, which is the national stadium in, in uh, England, where the national team usually plays. And they have these playoff games that that mean if you win, you get promotion. If you lose, you stay in the same division, depending on where you finish. And and so Wickham won their playoff game last uh, 
spring and are now in the in the championship and it's tiny little club um yeah, playing for the first time ever in this in this amongst giants of teams um and the fun thing is is the club was just recently bought by some georgetown uh soccer alums so it's a pete pete kuig who's you know played for for the team back in the early 90s is is, is he and his uncle uh, robert are the are these owners of this club and they're like Come on over. As soon as we had the official announcement that our season was canceled, I got a phone call from them saying, "Hey, uh, why don't you come over? You know, I, I'm sorry for bad news. Why don't you come over and hang out and and you know, in bed with the club for a little bit?" And um, I was like, "Yeah, maybe. You know, that could be fun. That could be interesting." And and, and then my wife, who has been quarantining more or less, or sorry, living a COVID lifestyle with me since March. Yeah, and is 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 used to me recruiting and having camp and and going off for preseason and this. She was like, "Get out of here, going over. <laughs> You're going uh, whether and because there was a period of time where I told her, like, I don't know if this makes any sense.' And I tell you, she she doesn't get mad at me too often. Um, that's good. Like, no, no, you know, she's like, if you don't go, I can. You're going to be painting the house. You're going to be doing this. You're going to be doing that. I was like, all right, I'm buying a ticket. I'm going to head over. So she uh, she she helped push me out the door. But it's it's it'll give me two weeks to. Um, just really learn, right? I think how I, I think, funnily enough, stylistically, the the the, the Wickham Club would, is couldn't be any different than how we would like to play ourselves. So, um, <laughs> okay. but you'll you'll learn a ton based on you have very thoughtful coaches, staff. Uh, how do they put together practices? How do they, um, you know, evaluate players? How do they how do they organize their um, their staff? Uh, how do they make use of of uh sports performance there's there's a million things that you pick up when you when you can spend time with another another uh, group of soccer people so this this for me will a it'll keep me sane right i can start thinking about soccer again a little bit uh but it's it's something that um i would never have the opportunity really to do this in in, in the current uh year uh the way it's gone so right now with the, with the downtime I'm, I'm trying to i'm trying to make some some use of it so i got i'll, I'll probably be with the club for probably two two weeks or so is my guess that sounds like an incredible use of your time. And obviously you wouldn't be, you know, it's something you could do future. You could do it in the spring, I suppose, but I don't know exactly what the calendar is for your spring practices and recruiting and stuff, but I'm sure there's a pocket you could find, but it would never be in the fall. Right. Correct. Correct. <laughs> it would never, correct. it would never be in the fall. Um, correct. And, and it's, and the funny thing is, is, is my wife and I, when I was, when we were quite young, we got married. She thought I was going to be an engineer. She didn't think I was going to be a soccer coach when we got married. So um, she she wanted a fall wedding in New, in New England. So we got married in September. So the poor thing, like we've never really <laughs> properly properly had any kind of a – and this is just sort of status quo for, for, for my poor wife, right? Like, you know, I'm calling from the road and we're, we're playing at St. John's and I'm saying, hey, happy anniversary. She's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's been like that for 25 years. So – of course, the only time we don't have a season in the fall is she sends me out the door. So our, again, um, our anniversary is uh, uh, on Saturday, and I'll have to call her and say, "Hey, uh, miss you." <laughs> status status quo for her, to the poor thing. Yeah. Creatures, creatures of habit. Um, yeah. Um, Today's episode is brought to you by Cars. dot com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Admin note, I forgot. So this podcast is called Kente Corner for whatever reason. And I'm sure I don't help by talking about how much I love the title blue Georgetown um, basketball jerseys. Um, is there Kente on any of the, I guess for soccer, you would call it a kit on any of the kits. Is there, is there any sort of Kente? That's a great question. We, um, one of, one of the, the, the side benefits of winning a national championship in soccer, but it's tradition to put a star or yeah, yeah. a logo for every every national champion. So of course, um, we you know everyone was in a good mood after we won, and so you know our administration was like, yes, get new uniforms with the star over the G and everything else. But um, one of the side benefits of that is, when we got new uniforms is we do for the first time have Kente showing up in the in the kits. Um, it's, Incredible. It's very um, subtle. Um, but it's it's in it's there. Uh, depending depending, we have a white kit, we have a gray kit, and we have a, a, a navy kit, blue kit, and uh, yeah, you'll you'll see it for the first time. It's it's cool. We're pretty excited about it. Well, I think that's going to dramatically not that they shouldn't already be, but I think that that's going to really help with getting the casual um, readership out to your games. I think being the defending <laughs> champs is going to help more, but I think when you add in the little bit of Kente, I think that's going to end up being it's, positive. It's, it's very cool. So it's Nike. Nike is kind of getting their act together with making that easier to do. It used to be very hard, right? They had uniforms. You pick one of three styles, and there's nothing you can do to it, you know, for soccer. Uh, and now they're becoming much more. You know, you can you can kind of design things with a lot more uh, uh, freedom. And so this is this is one of the first times we've been able to do it. So we're excited about it. Okay, so COVID stuff's gone. Well, it's not gone, but we're not going to talk about it right now. Um, switch the good stuff. Again, you guys won the national championship in men's soccer for Georgetown. You came on in 2006. Since making your first tournament in 2010, you've Georgetown's been a mainstay. Um, and I, I, I remember watching. I think was was the 2012 Cup in Hoover, Alabama. It was. Yeah, it was. It was. I, I remember. I remember. I was at a Georgetown men's basketball media availability on campus. One of the other reporters. Um, said, hey, let's let's go watch the semi versus Maryland. Um, we may have stopped at uh, Giant and bought a, bought a couple things, and we went to go watch the game. And I remember just thinking, like, why is it here? But that Maryland game, I know it was just the semis. I mean, between you know Georgetown, Maryland, uh, the ups and downs of that game. I think that that game went to PKs, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that yep, was incredible. Yeah it, it, yeah, it was. That was one of the great. Um, that was, to be fair, that was one of the great college soccer games that that's probably been played because of the setting and and the excitement of it It was two really good teams it was four to four so people complain about goals in soccer we're we're happy with that went to penalties um and you know in in uh in tribute to 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 big coach uh thompson um i got a a two-minute voicemail after that game from him from big coach um he was so excited because that team uh along the way beat Syracuse in penalties I think in the sweet 16 yeah and then and then we beat uh Maryland and the penalties to get to the final he he could have cared less probably that we lost we, we ended up losing one nothing in the final 
um, to Indiana. But he, he probably could have cared less about that. He was just so happy that we beat Syracuse and then beat Maryland on national television. I, I got this wonderful, you know, two-minute voicemail from 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 my coach that was, you know, it was a treasure. It was an absolute treasure uh, that we kept, and I, I, I shared that with with alums who can appreciate the uh, appreciate exactly what he what what his sentiments were towards Maryland at the time. So, yeah, um, I did have on my notes, but we can just talk about it for a second. Obviously, Georgetown, the whole community lost, you know, John Thompson Jr. recently. Um, that's a that's that's a pretty good story. Um, what was it like sort of when you get to Georgetown, he'd been retired from actual coaching for about, I think, seven years at that point. But what was it like to have him, you know, quote, just a legend in the building? I know that you're coaching soccer and he's in basketball, but outside of, you know, getting this, you know, outside of getting him all excited, beating Syracuse and beating Maryland, Mm -hmm. were you able to take advantage of any sort of just, you know, general, coaching you know wisdom you know just was there any sort of antidotes that like he was able to pass along or did the season the the seasons overlap too much to kind of get into that yeah he i mean no i mean he never he never maybe maybe to his credit he never tried to sort of give me wisdom in that way you know i think he um um you know he he, he, just such an incredible presence he had with everyone right and you, you you were always in awe of the guy. I mean, you couldn't be around him without sort of revering just anything he had to say. But the person he just had this he had this magnanimous way of of saying things, encapsulating things. Um, and you know, it, and it's it for me personally. I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which um, back in the in the eighties, you got uh, the pit, the pit. We were in the pit and the Lobos, right, were Mm -hmm. sort of this perennial kind of like getting into the NCAA tournament by the skin of their teeth, maybe winning a game in the first round and maybe not. But it's a basketball crazy town, basketball bananas. 18,000 people would pack into this place and it was the show for the entire state. And uh, and I grew up, I played soccer. I played I played a lot of sports, but my two favorite sports were soccer and basketball. And, uh, you know, so as a you know, 10 year old, nine year old, 10 year old, I was just getting into all my sports, loved basketball. And in that time, as, as everyone knows, like, uh, you, you would sit there as a, as a, as a 10 year old and watch Georgetown and from, from Albuquerque, I, I had never heard of Georgetown before, right? You, the only exposure you have to Georgetown is watching these amazing teams that he had produced in the, in the, in the eighties. Yeah. And you know, it was one of those things where teams, I think, always encapsulate and become a, a sort of image of their coach, right? And what you had, we had this team that was incredibly fun to watch, incredibly hard-nosed, uh, didn't back down to anyone, um, had these unbelievably talented players, but had this wonderful sort of discipline to them as well. And they were just, imp- they were, they were just impressive. Every time you watch them, like this Georgetown, I didn't really care who I, I you know, if, they, if the Lobos weren't playing, I just sort of, you know, I, I had a, I think I had an inherent sort of dislike of Duke, which I think is actually a good sort of precursor to my career path to, to Georgetown, right? I think that's I, normal. I watch, that's normal for pretty much everyone who's outside of, outside of <laughs> you know, Durham. And, right. and, and you'd watch these teams and, and I found myself always rooting for Georgetown. And, and it was because of 
the spirit that they had as a team. And they had it for you know a good run of years, but it was my first exposure to this sort of, you know, this culture of, of a basketball team. And then to, to, you know, fast forward to me showing up uh, on Georgetown's campus and, you know, you, you interact with this guy and you're like, man, he is like his team was, he is impressive, right? He is, he's got a discipline to him, but he doesn't back down to things. He's, you just can't stop watching him when he's in the room. And you can't just like you really couldn't stop watching those teams play when they're on, you know, the fledgling ESPN kind of thing. They they define college basketball in, in a very unique way at that time. It was, it, it, you know, for me, it was it was really special to to sort of have that personal connection with this guy that, you know, um, watching as a 10 year old was, yeah. you know, you know it, it, and, and we, when you're 10, you have to have something pretty special to have that kind of an impact on a 10 year old. Right. To be like, whoa those guys are pretty cool. And, and, you know, he, he, he did that. Well, that's, that's pretty cool story and pretty cool. Particularly well, and, about the 2012. And to, yeah. And to add on to it, I actually saw them play in the pit. They came out and played New Mexico and um, really? I had some, I got some seats that were nine normal seats were way up high. And then for whatever reason, I went to a game with somebody else and we had seats right behind the basket, like maybe 10 rows up. And it was Ewing and all these guys and seeing them that close was, man, I mean, we got to, I remember this very distinctly. It was like three or four minutes to go. I think we got to within three points down, we being the Lobos. And the place was going bananas. And then you know, Ewing did some stuff and then we lost it like 10 or something. So it, it was, but seeing them in person, you know, again, it was like, yeah, as advertised, they were, they were awesome. So. Pretty good yeah. memory. It was a it was an eight point Hoyas win. Hoyas win. I'm not sure if Rich Vodkin was doing that then, but <laughs> it was it was an eight point Hoyas win. There you go. Uh, not far off. Not far off. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah. So obviously, 2012, you got them in your second time in the tournament. You know, inches away from winning it all. This past year, you did accomplish that. So my question, and hopefully, I think based on our talk, I think you're going to give a pretty honest answer. When did you feel like you had a team last season capable of winning it? Was it the first day of fall practice? Was it a couple couple games into the into the Big East season? Was it not until you actually made the final and won it? Like when did you feel like you know what this is a group that that can do it? Because soccer, I think, is a little bit different. Try to explain to people that you know I think of all the sports, the best team doesn't always win in soccer because scoring it it's so low scoring, right? And you know, so when did when did you feel like this this is a group that's you know special? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we—it's um, because I—we've I, had a team here it, really since 2012, with the exception of one year. We had one year where it was like we're rebuilding and we're struggling. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it was 2016. It's like, yeah, it's not going to be this year. Yeah, we got to kind of push through some things. But every other year, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2017, 2018, and the last year, 2019, every one of those teams could have won the whole thing. They were—they were that capable. And not too different from any of the other teams. We had other teams, you know, you had some special players here, more depth there. You had this, but each team on their own, you know, when you really look at it at the end of the day, once your season ends in the end of the tournament, you're like, man, we, we really could have, maybe should have done the thing, right? And maybe an indictment on me as a coach, like we maybe should have done <laughs> better. Um, and with this current team, the first time that I knew something a little different is, is preparing for preseason. You, you, you spend a ton of time ideating about, 
your team? You know, how, what's the best sort of lineup that you should, would think about using? What are, our, what are our holes? What are our big questions? You know, is this sort of tactics going to be the right ones for this group of players? You kind of, you spend all summer really sort of churning through that stuff. And, and with this team, it was, I was trying to figure out like the best 11 and I had my staff in and we're like, all right, who, who, who you know, without knowing what guys are looking like coming in for preseason, who's, who's, who's your starting group? And, and you put together a starting 11 and then you'd look and you'd be like, well, but there's like four or five other guys that maybe should be in there too. And, and that was different because it was, it was, you, you had too many starters in the group, right? So that was one of those things you're like, well, we have quality. I think the theory of our team is we have quality. And, and that really played out in a, a pretty special way for us. And I think what we got right was a, we trusted all of those players through the year. And so we use our depth and, and, and what, what was different is that, you know, we, you have 11 guys, we were talking about 14 or 15. It's like, how do we, how do we in, in, incorporate these guys? How do we keep them all happy? Right. Um, and then our freshmen came in, we had this group of freshmen came in and, and man, they were, they just did the job. Every time you gave them an opportunity to play, they performed and performed very well. So now you have this, this group of like 20 guys that were all doing a job. And I think where we won, where we ended up kind of getting it right. And, and the, I think maybe the first time you're like, man, this team could be pretty special was when we went out to California, we played UC Irvine, scraped through a hard, it was the second weekend of the year. We won our first two games against teams that were good. Syracuse and Temple were good, but you know, I think we felt if we performed, we'd probably win. But we went out to Irvine, who was good. We snuck out a win, not playing well, which is a mark of a good team. Oh yeah. One, 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 nothing. And, and to, to Irvine's credit, they were good. But then we went to UCLA, which is a, you know, it's a behemoth of a program in, in men's soccer. And, um, and that was the first game where I'm like, all right, we have these players. We worked really hard to get them into a good place. I think, I think we were man managing. I have all these stories of how we kind of got them to accept roles, accept sort of, you know, we, we had them reading books you know during preseason on the the new zealand all blacks and that that was that would end up serving us really well and some other things but we played ucla and we went out to westwood uh we start the game off they score on us two minutes into the game and it's like and they look good and we're like man this is this is going to be tough our starters were 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 playing away playing fine but it was you know it was 20 minutes of sort of stalemate but we're losing and then we, 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 we did what we, we were doing, all, ended up doing really all year through the final, was we, we injected, you know, three or four subs on about 20, 25 minutes and a half. It's college soccer, allows you to do all sorts of subbing. Um, yeah. And so we make use of that, and we put four or five guys on. And that group ran over UCLA. And it was, you know, within minutes, it was 1-1, one, 2-1. One, one. Uh, we started a lot of those guys in the start of the second half, 3-1. And then it was, you know, we ended up, we ended up winning 5-1. At their place, we 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 ran over them. And the catalyst of it, though, was this group of players that came on. And that happened to us several times of the year. But what it what it what it did was it 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 fueled this belief that no matter who played, who started, whenever guys came on, it didn't matter that we were gonna we were gonna out out um, uh, it really just out endure teams over the run of a game. And you know, it's, you watch that Washington game that you watched online, right? It's, right. 
they were very good. They were they were one of the few games I felt like they maybe could have argued they should have won against us. You know, it was we, we had it a was a little year. nervy on my uh, feed it, here. It, 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 well, it was very nervy. It was very nervy on the sideline, right? They were <laughs> they were better than us. I think for seventy minutes they were out competing us. They were doing this. They scored really early, a fantastic goal. They had a couple of chances maybe to go up two nothing, and and we weren't generating any of the stuff we normally generate. That you know they're uh, they're they're extremely talented team, well coached. And to be fair, everybody is deserving to win a national championship as we were, except for the fact that from minute 70 to 90, we took over the game and, and we scored that helped. But from the time we scored, there was no, there was really no chance that we were going to lose. And that was yeah. just a continuation of, we just had too many guys that were too good. And we had nobody who was moping about, you know, we had guys who the year before were 90 minute players and we asked them to be 60 to 70 minute players. And they, they said, fine, good. And, and, and meant it. And then we had other guys that should be starters that we brought in off the bench and they were fine with that. And, you know, it was it, it, the, the, the man management was really what won us the thing. But I think you saw that really early in that maybe probably the UCLA game, I think what, what a lot of the team would point to is like, yeah, we're, we're actually pretty good this year. So when I look at the College Cup brackets and, you know, now that the results are in, it's easy to say this, but it kind of seems like the dream path, you know, particularly since you guys win it, you beat Stanford where you had coached for a number of years. They've been a power. And then to get UVA in the final, I know, you know, I don't even think Nervy describes that, but um, <laughs> you know, you're, you're talking about college basketball. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, you know, obviously UVA was kind of like, you know, the UCLA under Bruce arena, you know, they yeah. won, I think four or five in a row and they kept putting, you know, all their players were going to DC United and all, all that kind of stuff. So you know, it's not just that Georgetown men's soccer won its first national championship. It's like, you know, there's no questions. It wasn't a fluke bracket. It wasn't like somebody snuck in that, you know, winning these one nothing or one nil, you know. I mean, you guys went through the path of, you know, you're a power and you knocked off powers. Um, that being said, was the semifinal as bad as it looked? Because I was wondering if they're going to stop that game. I mean, it just looked awful from TV. Yeah, yeah it was, it was, it was tough. I think you know, I, I think that the whole run for us, um, it, it, it was pretty fun because we, we, we were we were good. You know, we had a good team and yeah. we knew we were good. Um, and if you're if you're sort of into the college soccer world, everyone loves the ACC. The ACC, they have you know nine teams out of eleven or twelve get at large to the you know the NCAA tournament and and the pack the pack the Pac twelve is is uh, got UCLA and, and Stanford and UW and I mean they're they're loaded um with talent and 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 the fun thing for us was we go kind of much much like basketball for the Big East right which is like yeah. the Big East is very good but because we're not a power 5 because we're not sort of in the psyche of the of the rest of the country during football season um American football season it's mm-hmm. it's you know, people kind of forget about the quality of what the Big East is. So we had this wonderful run where uh, we beat three ACC schools and two Pac-12 schools as our teams to beat in through the the NCAA tournament, right? So okay. it was very satisfying. We 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 had a great performance against Pitt. I mean, we beat Pitt um, uh, five five nothing or something. We beat, and then we had another good performance against Louisville, who was the only team to beat us in the regular season. We went out to them and lost in overtime in the regular season. And we beat them like five to one in, in, uh, in a, you know, second round game. And then 
uh, and then the UW game was an amazing game at Stanford, is has been the the team of the last five years, right? They've won three yeah. national championships, and you got to deal with that. And, and they're just winners. They kind of know how to compete and, and get through those things. And that game, when you showed up, you talk about that game. We we wanted it to be a soccer game. We we, we wanted to have the ball. We wanted to dictate with possession and do these things. And um, Stanford doesn't care so much about that, right? They'll be they'll be highly pragmatic as a team. And so when we showed up, it had been raining from the time you woke up to the time <laughs> we got to the field. And it hadn't just been raining. It had been like really raining. And we got to the field and I remember walking out and it just started raining harder and harder. It just wasn't letting up. And they had their grounds crew trying to kind of squeegee the water off the field and the amount of water they were moving off of the field was alarming and you're just like are we gonna have to play this game tomorrow and i was I, at the time i was like i would like i would almost rather that we do that because this doesn't suit us at all this really yeah. doesn't suit us for the you know if you're talking about you know conditions that things out of your control it's one of those things i'm like i'm trying to keep a positive spin on it and like this doesn't suit us um, and, you know, to, to, their, to their credit, they got it as playable as they could, but there were sections of that field where, you know, that ball, you, you, we told our guys, you're not allowed to pass the ball backwards because that ball might not get there. And it might then be a breakaway. So like you're either passing forward or you're, you're playing forward. And so, it, it, you know, but to our guys' credit, they rose to the conditions. And, and I think as, as what we were, you know, able to do all year is like, they just said, this is what it's going to take to win this game. We will become that. And they did. And they were, they were. We were incredibly uh, determined in, in that game. I was really proud of that performance because it was it was really bad conditions. It was really bad conditions. So, and then scoring a screamer, we scored maybe the goal of the year. Like, oh yeah, Sean Zawoski had a, a, an absolute wonder strike. Uh, that didn't hurt. That didn't hurt either. So that that certainly helped. But uh, but you know the Virginia game we had in in 2014, we had a team that was that was every bit as capable of winning. Uh, as any other and we played Virginia at home in a in a great what a great it was the same thing horribly cold rainy up in Shawfield we had this amazing crowd I mean the students came out it was a quarterfinal and it was it was um, you know George Gildematch who's the Virginia coach who does an amazing job with that program uh, after the game we, we we lost the penalties after the game said that was the best atmosphere he's ever been in for a college soccer game and wow. and we have, you know, we have seating for about 1,500, but it was just the proximity and the energy of the students and the crowd. Every, it was the full, the, the place was fully lined with students, a couple deep. And, you know, not to win that game was, was, was one of my great heartbreaking coaching moments because we played very well. Too. We, this we is supposed to be the fun section. This is supposed to be the section. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But here's what I'll say. <laughs> so, so we're winning one nothing. They score. They put a ball in with like 40 seconds left in, uh, in. They just put a hopeful ball in the box. They score a volley that just that ties it. They hang on and win the penalties, and they go on to win the national championship that year. And it, it's one of the it's one of those like coaching moments where I'm like, oh, if only, if only, right? You always have those things where like that's the one game. If I could change this, I would have done that. We should have. We had. And, and Virginia, it was Virginia, Virginia almost stole that from us. And so it's very fitting for me personally. I, and I was the only person on the bench you know, that was part of that game. Okay. Back in, you know, this five years. So, so none of the players were there and the staff was gone. So it was for me personally, it was like very happy that, uh, 
that we were able to return the favor <laughs> to, to Virginia in the final with winning on penalties. And, and what was another, it was a fantastic game. That, that final was as good as a good a soccer game as you, as you could see for entertainment value. No, I, I mean, I think, I think in both of your trips to the college cup, there's been two just absolute classics. Um, you mentioned the Stanford, the goal in that game. I watched a little bit, hopefully no one's listening um, that, uh, cares about my coverage of Nationals baseball. I was working Nats last night, and in trying to prep for this a little bit during a couple of dull moments, I was able to watch some of that game. And because <laughs> I remember how it happened, I just remember, I didn't remember exactly when, but as someone that I still play adult league soccer, I, I'm a big, big soccer fan. When the conditions are like that, you know, just like you said, don't pass it backwards. Like, you know, that there's going to be a moment of just either brilliance or of calamity right and right, right. the ball right before um the stanford defender did a he did not do a great job of clearing it i think he heads it mm-hmm. out and but right yep. before the ball came in i don't know who was over there on the left wing it, it seemed like the ball just died you know yeah yeah no the ball <laughs> should have gone out of bounds because it was right. so wet so slick right. and it was flying along and then it hit a, a heavy part of the field and just stopped right and um and yeah so a little divine intervention there we'll, we'll take the they have Absolutely. a God there to, to keep that ball in play for us. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But like, you know, like I'm sitting there watching it. I'm sort of nervous. Um, I'm just like, you know, this is a game where it can just, you can be the better team and absolutely lose this game. Um, and then to have it go to UVA, which to me, it felt like, well, this is what happens to be the best. You got to beat the best. And I know UVA is not like they were under arena, but it's, I've, you know, they won the 2014. They're still UVA. So mm-hmm. depending on, you know, your point of view of when you're sort of looking at things, just like, of course, it has to be Virginia, and then that well, game is and, 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 an all timer. Yeah, it was a great. Yeah, it was, and and um, you know, in my time at Georgetown, you know, fifteen seasons coming into fifteen seasons, that was by far the best Virginia team okay. that they've had. It, it was a very, very good team. It was, I think, they'll feel, you know, maybe like we did in twenty four. Hard, hard um, done. No, not not hard done by, but just like we could, <laughs> we were good enough. You know, we were could, we were good enough, right? For sure. Yeah. So. Now that's a sport. That is a sport for sure. No, it is. Um, so let's back up for a second here. Before you got to Georgetown, I, I don't want to say that you're the most interesting coach at Georgetown, but I also don't want to say that you aren't. And just sort of looking over the bio, so okay, you play soccer at Dartmouth. You're in a degree in mechanical engineering. I imagine that's not easy. You try professional football in the uh, the very popular Zimbabwe League. You get into coaching, and then while you're at Stanford early on, you get your master's in mechanical engineering. And I know that you brought it up a little bit ago, talking about your wife, but was there? did you always know you were going to be a coach? Because it seems like you know you didn't play pro for that long, and you have these really good degrees from an Ivy League school and from Stanford in engineering. It seems like, you know, I'm not surprised that she thought you were maybe going to go that way. How did How did the coaching thing, how did it stick? Yeah, it's, you know, like a lot of these things, it's it, nothing's really by design or yeah. really, nothing should be by design in a lot of ways, right? You always kind of make decisions that make the most sense for you at the time. But I, I, I mean, I've, um, I, I was asked this question actually by a young aspiring coach. Like he was actually just getting out of college trying to figure out like, how do I, how do I do this? How do I become a college coach? And I don't, I, you know, I don't really know what to tell people who ask me that question because, you know, I, I I was just lucky in a lot of things, but I, what I will say is I, I've always since, since, you know, a young age before I even went to college, 
I've always liked coaching. Okay. And for no other reason, you know, I, I, and, and, you know, I, I had bad knees. I, I, I actually just got a full knee replacement in, um, in June. That was good. That was my good use of my COVID time was, was getting a full knee replacement. I had really bad arthritis from a whole bunch of surgeries I had in high school. So I missed a bunch of sort of my prime years of playing. And while I was sort of trying to recover and come back from that, I filled my time with helping coach like the ninth grade team from my high school, helping coach my physics teachers, eight year old team helping. And it was just like, yeah, I wanted, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, my senior year in college in the spring, when I, when I was finished, I, I coached a U15 boys team in, in the upper Valley of New Hampshire, Hanover, New Hampshire. You know, it was just, and, and it's, it was never for money. It was never to get paid extra dollars. It was like, I think that would be fun. Right. That was always the thing. This would be fun. Uh, when I was, you know, I'm sorry, you know, it, it, my time in, in Zimbabwe was an amazing time, but I was never going to be a pro. I mean, my knees were bad and there was no real pro league. And I, you know, I was going to supposed to be an engineer. So there was never really a thought of like playing. Um, how, how much pressure did you get maybe from parents or your family just to be like, hey, so here's the deal. Um, you have a mechanical engineering degree from an Ivy League school. Um, let's go ahead and use that. Did you ever get any of that? Yeah. No. And, and to my parents' credit to my parents' credit, right? Um, or to their detriment. Maybe they should have been telling me that. I don't know. But the, um, I, I had parents that, that really were, and, and you know, they, they've, they continue to be, you know, mega fans of, of Georgetown soccer and all that. But it's, yeah. you know, they were always like, do, you know, what do you want to do? You know, do that. And, and I think they probably privately have had a lot of conversations about what, what on earth Brian's doing with his, with his life now, right? With the, uh, <laughs> Um, these early years of being an assistant coach, you get paid almost nothing, right? When I was, um, but, it, but, you know, it, when I was an engineer, I actually worked as an engineer for one year before I went to Stanford for, for, for grad school. Okay. Again, I, I found a team. I, I, I sort of stumbled into a girls U17 club team that was practicing at the park behind my apartment complex. And then like two weeks later, I'm their head coach. And... <laughs> Just thought that would be fun. Yeah, this would be fun. This would be great. I, I, yeah, let's do that. Um, I'll help you. And so it, for whatever reason, I've always enjoyed it. And then where the luck came in, you know, again, when, when I knew I had gotten into Stanford, I knew I was going to go there for grad school, the two-year program. I sent, this is before you have like internet and, and emails. So I sent a letter, a, a, a handwritten letter to the coaches at Stanford, Cal, uh, Santa Clara, I think St. Mary's, like all of the, every San Francisco, all of the teams that were in the Bay area say, and not really understanding like the geography of it, but like saying, Hey, I'm going to be up there. Do you need help? I mean, I'm a goalie. I could help coach your goalies. And, and of course yeah. I got no responses from any of them. Not, not, not even, which makes total sense. Um, but where, where the, the sort of shift came was the coach I played for at Dartmouth took over Stanford's program three months before I enrolled in my graduate program there. There you go. And he, he's like, you're coming to Stanford. I was like, yeah. He's like, do you want to help? I was like, yeah, that would be great. And so I, you know, I spent probably as much time coaching, going on the road, recruiting because they only had one full-time assistant. So I was really a volunteer since I wasn't getting paid anything. And I had this master's thing I was trying to do, but you know, literally all my time was either working in uh, on this product design program or 
coaching the team, traveling. I, you know, I did all the coaching side of it. It was the best of everything. I had no admin duties for the first two years there. Um, and then when I graduated, again, the, the, the top assistant, you know, right after I graduated, got a head job at um, Wesleyan, Jeff Wheeler, my good, he's a good friend of mine. And, you know, Bobby said, well, do you, what do you want to do? He asked me the question, what do you want to do with your life? Do you want to be an engineer or do you want to be a coach? Because if you want to be a coach, I, I would like to take you as the, as the top paid assistant. And, I, you know, I, I think I told him, yeah, let's do that before I maybe talk to my wife. I hope she doesn't listen to this because I think, I think, I, I think I said that I should probably consult with my new bride, <laughs> newly minted bride within like three months we got married to say like, by the way, I'm not going to earn any of the money that you thought I was going to be earning <laughs> for, for my career. I hope you're okay with that. And to her credit, she was like, my, she's like, go for it. Yeah. And she knew what she, you know, she, she knew what's make, she knew what makes you, what you tick and what makes you happy. And, and uh, you know, so I, I consider myself very lucky that I stumbled into it and do, do something that I, I, I truly love doing, you know, really, really lucky to have that as a career. So you get, so you're into coaching, you're, at Stanford for 10 years, you move on to Notre Dame, who at the time was in the Big East with Georgetown. You're there for five years. When you took the job over at Georgetown, obviously you had had a chance to experience them up close as um, an opponent. Um, you took over a program that hadn't made the tournament since 97. I think it only made two NCAA tournaments, but they had been a competitive program in the Big East and obviously, fast forward 15 years, you won a national championship. When you came in, do you remember what your what your program goals were for the Georgetown men's soccer team? Um, yeah, you know, it was it was an interesting it was an interesting time because um, I thought we could be good, um, but you know, in fairness, it was my first head coaching job, and so I was trying to make the best decisions I could and. I, I did get a, I was lucky I got a really good staff of coaches in with me, which we worked hard to figure out, but we really struggled for the first couple of years. So, you know, it was two years of a lot of self-doubt, right? With like, I'm doing everything that I, I, I think I know is right. You know, we got really successful at Stanford really quickly. We got really successful at Notre Dame really quickly. And we, we, when I mean, you know, Bobby and myself as his assistant, when we came to Stanford, they had been five and 12 for multiple years. They, they were a team that never thought they should be competing. When we got to Notre Dame, they were the same, but it was immediate. It was immediate success. And I was like, okay, I, I can do it. And it was two years of really hard lessons. Um, you know, I had, I think midway through my second year, it was like a mini, I wasn't a popular hire because I'm not a Georgetown alum. And you know, I think I think they thought, you know, Bernard Muir, who was the AD at the time, knew me from Notre Dame. So that's the only reason why he called and said, why don't you come and interview? And, you know, he, he, I think I think it was a really unpopular choice. And and so by year one and a half, halfway through my second fall, when we're like two and seven, you know, I got a lot of, a lot of alums are like, eh, we, this isn't, we made a mistake. You know, you, you, you can't help but Interesting. You know, you're you're on it. And, and, you know. My response to that was, you know, Bernard was really supportive. He's like, ignore all this stuff. And, but my response to him, or not to him, but to myself was like, well, that, I mean, I don't disagree. Not that they're in the wrong choice, but, you know, I'm kind of happy that people are upset because we're not, we're not doing well. And so I would, you know, you want people that want to be successful. So 
you know, I, I think I think the the those first few years were, were, were tricky, and I think I was finding my niche in terms of not like how we were going to play, but the kinds of kids we needed to, to evolve into the team we've become. And, you know, it took me probably two or three years to understand like, okay, this is, this is our wheelhouse. This is the kid that we're going to get. This is the kid that's going to want Georgetown. This is the kid that's, you know, this is, these are the kids we need to start going after. And once we kind of twigged that and got that right, it, 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 things, things quickly kind of turned. I think 2010 when we won the first league really started us going, but you know, the, the, the flip side of that, and I, you know, um, Lee Reed as our, as our AD has been, he, you know, I, I'll say this every, every day of the week, he came in 2010 and he's been with us for the last 10 years and his ambition for what soccer can be and should be uh, and his vision for it uh, was was you know frankly just more aggressive than Bernard's, and he he wanted he thought we could be good he wanted to be so he's always been supporting like what do we need how do we do this what are we and I don't think there's a coincidence there either so like his arrival coincided with our our team kind of getting ourselves up and running but you, you know my job as a coach and any and any coach in any program is only as good as the ad's support of you as a program. You know, if we're not, you know, you can have a very frustrating time as a coach if your AD is not on the same page uh, with what your ambitions are as, as, a, as a program. And, and Lee has every bit of the way been that. And to be fair, since his arrival between our, our program and our women's soccer program, and Dave Nolan's done an amazing job with those guys, we've had four college cups uh, on the hilltop. You know, we've been to four Final Fours um, over, over Lee's tenure in the last 10 years. Uh, it's, oh, it's, it's an impressive amount of success uh, since he's been with us. It's not been lost on me. I've, I've, uh, you know, I'm sure you have better things to do than be on Twitter, but I've at many times mentioned how Georgetown has become a soccer school and that's not necessarily a dig at anything else, but it's just like, when you look at the men's and the women's success, I mean, the results are there. Like it's been a great run. Like you say, for the last, the last 10 years, when you talk about the college cups, um, in speaking with just in, you know, athletics in general a lot obviously has been made about the thompson center and you know it was so great to get that up while john um was still part of george was you know still with us still at georgetown i think far too often people are awarded um statues and buildings and courts when they've passed and they don't get a chance them and their families don't get a chance to you know to be like hey this is you know this is my time to you know i know that most people don't like to uh, you, you know, just take all that praise in. And I know he was definitely one of those as well, but it is nice to honor people while they're still with us that deserve it. Um, that being said, how much is the, t- you know, the facilities is always um, a conversation about Georgetown. Um, it's a school that offers as many sports as the Ivies or sports that are offered that people don't even know about like sailing. And, you know, uh, Georgetown offers just an incredible amount of intercollegiate athletics. Um, that being said, how great was it for soccer as well to get the Thompson center? Like how much has that made an improvement in, you know, how much has that helped you in your job in in recruiting and just like, this is our, you know, this is the facility that we have access to and all that, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's, it's, a, it, what we've done over the last, you know, again, 10 years, I think getting credit to, to Lee Reed and, and president DeJoya and this, you know, what they're, what they've been able to do. Um, it is really hard to do things in DC. Like, I, 
you know, to build anything in DC is a, is a minor miracle um, right. with the zoning and the everything you got to deal with. But the NIMBY, you know, the, the, I mean, it's unbelievable. But you know, getting the Thompson Center built and and doing it as well as they did, getting Cooper Field sort of, I mean, it's this brand new shiny thing we haven't been able to use yet. Um, you know, these things are are massive for us. We've always been. Yeah, I have a great story for you with a recruit. Um, that we liked. And it, it turns out when you look at his career over the last, you know, you know he's long since graduated, but, you know, he chose um, a different school over us, an ACC school over Georgetown. And it was really between us and them. And uh, and when you look at his career path, it's actually totally fine. He chose another school. Um, yeah. But it, it, <laughs> it, it, um, it was, I had a really interesting conversation with a dad in passing, like, you know, six months after he had, you know, told me he was going to this other school. I saw the dad on a sideline of a, of a tournament. And his kid was his kid was playing on the team, and he's dad came in very nice. And you know, I think his dad really wanted him to go to Georgetown. And uh, okay, but in the dad said, "Man, if only you guys had a grass practice field." You know, I think he would have come. And I remember looking at him, being like, "And, and I'm usually very diplomatic with, with parents, kids after they choose another school." But I remember telling him, "It's like, boy, I really hope that's not the reason." He chose to go somewhere else than Georgetown, and yeah. he's like, "Oh well, no, you know." And but but that's kind of the reality we're living in too, right? Where they there are these things that um, you know recruits will gravitate to, and facilities is a big one, especially when you're dealing with elite level athletes, right? They want they want all the bells and whistles. They want to feel like it's a professional type of environment, and we really didn't have that um, until the Thompson Center was built, and and so we were always successful recruiting. You know, we, listen, we went to the final in 2012 um, and, and had these teams that were, were sort of humming along. Uh, but that, that was more a tribute to Georgetown as a university uh, than it was to anything we had facility-wise to offer these kids, right? It was, it, you know, it, it, Thompson Center gave us a locker room that was as good as any in the country. It gave us a training facility that was first class. It gave us uh, uh academic resource space for the first time it gave it gave us meeting spaces to, to with proper auditoriums that we didn't have to like figure out as football uh, the football linemen coming in for their meeting and then volleyball's got something we have to like you have space you could sort of breathe and expand uh, oh. you have an equipment room that it just everything about it was suddenly sort of gave you a sense of okay they ha we have functional support it, it, it allowed us to you know you, you sort of with great pride, you walk kids around campus instead of sort of hiding the things you don't have when you walk kids around campus. You're suddenly able to say, like, look at what we have. It's 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 pretty great. And and you know the ability then to have uh, all the things that Georgetown sort of had. You know the academics and the tradition and the you know and, and then you're able to say like, yeah, you're now well supported. And then it lets us as coaches functionally work on a day to day basis much more efficiently than we ever were before. So it, it was. It was, uh, you know, game changing for sure. Yeah, no, that's 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 awesome to hear. And I mean, I've been I've been following Georgetown basketball since early '90s, and uh, then you know coming to campus, and you know I didn't go to Georgetown, but the, you know from going from everyone in McDonough to now we've got this thing. To me, it just seems like a you know a seismic shift for the good. Um, and I'm glad that it doesn't, you know, that it goes to the other sports as well. It's not, you know, and I think that's 
that's the distinction that I try to make is that it's not, you know, it's not just a basketball facility. It's, it's aiding all of the programs, which Georgetown, like I said, has, has so many. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So I've played soccer my whole life. Um, I think you hear the term and I'm going to say it, it's not unprecedented, but soccer is a growing sport in this country. Right. And people will be like, Oh, you've been saying that since the seventies, but I'm going to preface it this way. Cause I know it's cliche. It's growing in the fact that the amount of TV coverage that the four, like you're over in England, you know, um, I can watch all the games. I used to have to go to watch Arsenal, like, you know, at a bar early two thousands out of college. Now I can watch Arsenal on my phone, um, you know, between the EPL and the Bundesliga. I feel like those are kind of the most popular and MLS coverage is everywhere as well. Um, so I do think that it's fair to say it's still growing. You know, it might not be growing with maybe playing all the time, although I think that's still very healthy. Um, I think it is growing in the fact of the eyeballs that it's attracting. And I haven't even mentioned the uh, the uh, Mexican League, which gets a ton, a ton of eyeballs in, in this country. Um, who are some of the former Hoyas that people could follow in any of the professional leagues, whether it's, you know, MLS or, you know, um, other other divisions elsewhere? Yeah, it's it's because um, it, it's, it's you can see anybody play right it is amazing yeah. now with the stuff um yeah and and you know and i think that to, to add on to your your comment the, the crowds that we're generating in mls stadiums now or pre-covid right i'm assuming it'll come back at some point to those same levels you, you know you, you look at seattle's portland uh lafc atlanta you just it's just they're huge they're huge and the atmospheres are great. And it's, it, it's a different, it's a different kind of Renaissance going on now. Um, you know, it's feeling more tribal in the U S it's, it's great, right? This is the kind of thing we need. And then you're starting to see all these young players, Americans. Be, and a lot of it's because of the exposure the, the kids who want to be passionate about soccer can see everything. Um, you see a lot of these players doing really well in, in the premier league, in the Bundesliga, like they're, you know, West McKinney is now in, Juventus, like it's it's crazy what's happening with this stuff. So, you know, um, if you're if you're avid with Georgetown, you want to watch Georgetown guys. You got yeah. Keegan Rosenberry is a regular starter with with the Colorado Rapids as a right back. Alex Muell um, just got traded from Red Bull to uh, Nashville, so you can you can watch him with Nashville. Uh, he's playing huge minutes for those guys. Stacy Marcinkowski got um, a long overdue start and goal for San Jose Earthquakes. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm waiting for that to become a regular occurrence for him. Um, okay. And then you have uh, you have uh, Brandon Allen uh, in with Memphis uh, in the USL. You got Joshua Yara with San Antonio in the USL. Um, yeah, Chris Lemma is with Red Bull, sort of in, in sort of bounces between the first team and their their sort of USL team Red Bull too. Uh, there's 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 um, uh, awesome. and then our t- our two most recent ones, Dylan Nealis is down with Miami. Um, and he's playing regular minutes as a right back with those guys with a new club there. And then Achara um, was was up with Toronto, and he had this, you know, uh, unbelievable uh, opening couple of, of uh, moments for them. He scored the game winning goal in their home opener, and this, and then he um, uh, towards ACL um, right after. So he's he's he. I think when he comes back, and you know, he was he became an instant cult hero up in Toronto uh, with this, you know, charismatic, you know, rookie. Um, who is just, you know, a super exciting player to watch. And uh, so, you know, he, he, you got to wait a little bit for him, but he'll be back up there doing that. But it's, there, there's, there's, there's a good number of guys that you can sort of pay attention to. You have to know how to see them. A lot of times they're on like, you know, different platforms and streaming platforms, but you know, everyone's accessible. 
Well, I'm glad that the um, I'm glad that they made it to Georgetown without that grass practice field. I think that that's really awesome that they were able to overcome <laughs> that. Um, and yeah, like just like you said, you mentioned some of the USL guys. Um, I'm a guy that has two TVs in the basement. I don't know if everyone in the house is a fan of that, but that's what's going on. And often I will put, because if you have ESPN Plus, it's basically like having all MLS games and there's these USL games that I didn't even know existed, honestly. Like a couple of years ago, I realized Drogba was playing um, in Arizona. He was a part owner. Um, so often I'll just put a USL game on. Uh, we have a team in Loudoun now, which is still kind of a little bit of a hike for people in D.C., yep. But um, yep. it's def- you know it's definitely pretty close. But yeah, no, I mean you can, the games are everywhere. You can you can you can find them. And I think for Georgetown, I know for basketball it's a big deal. I imagine that's the same for you guys to be like, look, here's where our pros are. You come here, mm-hmm. you get a great education. This is a great program. And if you want to keep playing football, soccer, whatever you want to call it, these are the guys that have done it. And this is a place where you can do it. And I think that, that that's uh, that's a really really important. Um, I know yeah, I'm going to try. And that's and- the, it- that's the sorry to interrupt. But that's the niche that we when I talked about finding the right player is is that's the kid right. And we have a in my office. I have a, a wall of jerseys hanging uh, on the, one of my walls in my office, and it's this you know it's the entire wall is like wallpaper. Uh, and the thing about that wall is that every one of those kids has graduated, and and it was their pro. And you know everyone's got different lengths of careers, injuries have gone on to other things, but yeah. You know, it, it, the 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 niche that we have that we take a ton of pride in is we want kids, and we work really hard to try to figure out who this kid is. But we want kids that are desperate to be pros, but not so desperate that they're going to leave school early. And we've never had—I'm going to knock on wood—we've never had uh, a player leave after one or two seasons, which is very common in our sport. It's just like basketball in some ways. Like kids will go after a freshman year or sophomore year or whatever. We've never had that happen because. You, you, it's just too much work to do. You won't get your degree. You won't finish. And so, yeah. you know, we've had some special kids that have left after their junior year, but those guys are have either gotten their degree or are about to finish. And then everyone else graduates in three and a half years, and they go into the pros in January when the MLS season starts up, and away they go. And it's it's a wonderful story to tell for mom and dad too, right? Mom and dad always want that degree at the same time, and so it's um, it's the it's the it's the niche that we've been we've, we've gotten a lot of success out of finding those kids. So speaking of that, the schedule in the spring, what are what are the what are the prospects for the defending national champions and will playing in the spring? You just mentioned no one's left early. I mean, and I, you know, you don't have to say specifically, but is that going to be possibly a challenge with other opportunities that are going to be out there for some some of your kids? Yeah, no, certainly. I think that's the that's the the uh, million dollar question is. MLS doesn't really haven't really got their head around how to interface with the college shift. So are they going to have a draft in January as per normal? Are they going to let these kids play a season and do something in May? Um, But yeah, we have eight seniors that are graduating in in December. And so each of those kids has a decision to make. And, you know, we, we very well could have a team full of, all Americans coming back, or we might have a team that had three all Americans decide to go pro and in January. And, and I won't begrudge any of those kids because the goal has always been to get those kids to get their degree and to try to help them on the pathway to be a pro. And, you know, if, if they, if the entry point is right, it, 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 yeah, we'll probably lose a couple of those guys to, to that. And, and that's going to be okay. That's going to be okay. Um, so 
if it's not right, then you know they can enjoy trying to win another national championship and 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 improving their stock to figure out what's maybe next for them. But um, there's a lot of uncertainty there for sure, and and I don't think I don't think we'll really know any of those answers until December or January, to be honest with you. And that's the difference between a good team and a good program. A good team can't handle early defections. A good program can, even though you obviously want everybody to stay. Um, Brian, this has been an incredible episode of Kente Corner. It's probably one of my favorite. And while we were talking, I would assume that maybe, because every day I sort of think, you know, is today the day to get off of Twitter? Just because, you know, 2020 has been such a, such an interesting yeah. uh an interesting year but i did notice that here you are with jack the bulldog on twitter so i didn't put that out in the oh. beginning it is brian weiss which is um at weiss and you spell that w-i-e-s-e underscore brian um i see your last tweet looks like it was um after john thompson jr passed away so yeah yeah um I, i'm not i'm not an avid tweeter so if you follow me and, and wake up every morning looking to see the new one you might be you might be disappointed for stretch of time but um i i you know i'm i'm of that age where i, I try to understand the technology and my kids try to help and all that but it's it's uh the the profile picture is that what you're talking about probably yeah right? which is me with jack it's actually one of one of the only good pictures i think i have of myself <laughs> and uh, we had Jack up on Shaw Field before we started the season. I think it was, it was right before preseason was, was or, or maybe during our preseason. And I was like, I need a, I'm usually not pushy this way, but it's like, listen, I need a picture with Jack. I got to get a picture. I got to get a picture <laughs> with Jack. And so uh, they took, they took some pictures and I was like that. I, I like that one. It's a good one. It's a good one of me. And I got the dog and I got the field. You know, like that's my, that's as good as, that's a good a profile picture as I can hope to get. It looks, uh, <laughs> pr- looks, looks like professional grade. Mm, no, I think it was an iPhone. I think it was an iPhone. Yeah, now, so. for the for people out there that are not that want the latest news and you want tweets more often than coach is going to give you, at GU Hoyas M Soccer is the place to go, and there is the star over the G in the picture over there for the the most recent national championship that they hope to defend in the spring. So I would direct everyone to go over there. Um, like I said, Brian, this has been a great, a great podcast to learn about you, learn about the program, and we got to get some of the basketball fans that I know listen to this podcast and read the blog to get into the other sports. And this is a great one since you can hop on if you haven't already to a to a defending national champion. No, thanks for having me. I, I, I did my best to try to incorporate some some hoops talk in there as best I could. So that was my contribution uh, um, <laughs> to that to that group as I did. I think you more than held your own, particularly almost um, nailing the margin of a Georgetown, New Mexico game from the 1984-85 season. Uh, you were within two points. We will accept that here. Um, Brian, I hope to have you back um, maybe after you get back from our – at some point we can find out what you learned with the Wickham Wanderers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, Happy um, to do it. As as the season happens next year, we definitely have to make this something where where we can we can we can chat or you know even maybe get a get a get a player. But I want to thank Georgetown men's soccer for making this happen, and uh, thanks a lot, Brian. That was my pleasure, Bobby. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. All right. Bye.